helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Samuel Adams said, If ye love wealth greater than liberty, the tranquility of servitude greater than the animating contest for freedom, go home from us in peace. We seek not your counsel nor your arms. That is a statement I believe we need to heed well in the 21st century. We have to decide which is more important to us, our liberty or our tranquility. Because the forces of tyranny are not only in power, but their despotism is growing. Government censorship, burdens and regulations, the politicization of the courts are just the tip of this iceberg. As Thomas Paine wrote, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service to, of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Each and every American needs to ask themselves, are you the, a, a sunshine patriot and a summer soldier? Or will you stand now, not only for your rights, but those of your family and your country? Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution we teach the rising generation be free, and I am so glad you could join me today. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on here at the Constitution Study. I finally have a, a venue for my, my mini boot camp, and uh, even if you don't live in Middle Tennessee, that's actually good news. Because this boot camp, I, I want to record this boot camp and, and use it for the video mini boot camp that will be published for everybody in the country to watch, and it will be the entry point into our Patriots program. And I think it's truly important that we have Patriots in this country, men and women who will get the education they need, the set up the communications links that we need, the, the activation, the willing to stand, to not be the summer soldier and the sunshine Patriot, to not be the one that prefers the, the, the tranquility of servitude over liberty. If we don't, well, then the future of this nation, the future of the republic, I believe, is in great jeopardy, and the future of your rights as well. Now, it's funny because one of the rights that so many people claim to, to cherish so greatly is their freedom of speech. But that's also one of the ones that's so greatly under attack today. Benjamin Franklin once wrote, Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. That's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are watching the freeness of speech be subdued in this country, and in my mind, far too few Americans are standing up to do anything about it. Now, that's not to say nobody stands up or, and, and nothing ever happens, but I find it interesting sometimes when we see what stands up. For example, uh, recently... The United States State Department sanctioned uh, the Iranian tech company Arvan Cloud and its co-founders, uh, along with the UAE-based affiliate, for their role in facilitating the Iranian regime's censorship of the Internet in Iran. So, again, in Iran, like 
communist China and so many other places, you have um, they, they censor the Internet. And here we have the Department of State saying, you know what? We're going to sanction them. Uh, they, in, in a press release, they announced that the, um, uh, the Treasury Department condemns Arvin for helping Iranian authorities control and censor incoming and outgoing traffic and blocking these websites. So under provisions of an executive order back to start under Trump, um, we are now sanctioning. They put some sanctions in place. But here's the interesting thing. Isn't that exactly the same thing that the Biden administration is doing? Isn't our government leading over today to censor the Internet in the United States? For example, um, I love this one. You know, if it, if it wasn't so sad, the irony would just be too much to believe. You see, once again, we have documents and emails being released that will just show how the current administration is censoring information online, stuff they call misinformation, as if, you know, well, we magically can determine what is and isn't true, and, and anything we don't like, we'll just label it misinformation, and it's suddenly wrong. This is a, these documents apparently return to, or should we refer to uh, a time last fall uh, when journalists and, and other activists wanted to look into the role of the Department of Homeland Security in censorship on social media. I mean, we've already seen the FBI, the CIA, the State Department, they've all had a role in censorship on social media sites. Maybe we should look at the Department of Homeland Security as well. See, apparently several organizations, the Daily News, uh, Daily Caller News Foundation, Tech Inquiry, uh, journalist Lee Fang, and the Government Accountability Pro uh, Project, all separately requested records from the University of Washington uh, having to do with the cybersecurity infrastructure and infrastructure agency um, and, and, and a professor from the CISA advisory panel named Kate Starbird. Um, and what's interesting is they got a letter, they got an email um, from the uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Washington. And then they say, oh, you know, I, I hope you f this finds you well. We heard from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Se uh, Agency within the Department of Homeland Security that the Daily Caller News Foundation has requested documents from the university, which may include documents that belong to CISA, you know, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency. Um, could we please see a copy of any relevant CISA documents that you may plan to produce? We're also not sure when you received the records request, but... We would ask to have an extension of time before the records are produced so that we can have time to review them and assess whether we'll have to file a, a suit to protect them from disclosure. So once again, we have a uh, someone in the Department of Justice, right? Because this is it came, you know, they actually have a a usdoj.gov address. It's the the assistant U.S. State attorney saying, you asked for can, can we get some details? Because we want to have time to see if we want to censor this information, if we want to prevent the disclosure of this information. Again, these are public records. Um, unless there's some classification around them, 
why is the DOJ filtering what gets out to the real world? Well, the same reason any government entity, and in fact, any, any entity, tries to restrict access to information. Either there are secrets that they don't want disclosed, or there's embarrassing information that they don't want disclosed. But in either case, this is where we sit. So I find it very interesting that the very same government that is uh, sanctioning Iran, uh, companies in Iran for um, censoring information, are doing the exact same thing. And again, this is just one more example. You have uh, the, the FBI uh, trying to get Twitter to uh, censor information, to ban certain uh, accounts because of information that's being posted. You have the CIA, you have the State Department, you have all these entities trying to control information. And it, ladies and gentlemen, that is nothing new. Okay, censorship is nothing new. Government actors trying to restrict access to information is nothing new. This is human nature. But what we're seeing lately, and I again, how much of this is simply there's more, uh, more exposure? We're seeing more of what's been going on, and how much of it is actually an increase in the attempt to censor information? I don't know. But what we have is, a, again, an excellent example of the Benjamin Franklin quote. quote Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. Another example, we talked about this uh, earlier, the gentleman in Reading, Pennsylvania, who was arrested for simply holding a sign and quoting the Bible across the street from some pride event. See, you subdue the freedom of speech of one side, that's how you throw, overthrow the liberty of a nation. You are not allowed to criticize these people. You're not allowed to criticize their agenda. You're not allowed to criticize this group. That subduing of freedoms of speech, again, we're not talking about threatening, we're talking about criticizing. You're not allowed in some cities in this country to deny uh, 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 participation in, a, in certain weddings and, and other events because they're now a, a protected class. The whole idea of having a protected class is offensive to liberty. What happened to equal protection under the law? <clears throat> this is what happens. You start by, you subdue the freedom of speech. And you always subdue the freedom of speech of, well, those who oppose an agenda. In this case, the you know, this is by the way what what the government's doing is not hypocrisy. the The idea that uh, this the the State Department and the Treasury are going to sanction Iran Iran for their censorship, while the Department of Justice is promoting censorship within this country, understand it's not hypocritical. It's the agenda. The agenda is we want power. And if you don't let our information into Iran, we don't have power. If you um, expose information that people can use against us, that decreases our power. This is about power and priority. This is not, ladies and gentlemen, in the minds of, the, of I believe, those in the state of Iran. 
let me rephrase that because I don't know the individuals that are involved here. As a policy, the current policy of uh, punishing those who censor in Iran in Iran is is more about power than it is a, a holding up freedom of speech. Because look at how they treat freedom of speech in their own country. Now I, I know. Simply refusing to hand over documents is not technically freedom of speech, but it's the idea of restricting communications, limiting what people can hear, limiting what people can know. And the idea that those in government get to decide what the American people can and cannot see. See, go back to the Declaration of Independence. We read, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers I'm sorry, to protect these rights, governments are instituted among men to, to deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Those in government are supposed to serve the people, not the other way around. What the government does should be open to inspection unless shown there's a reason why not to. And, and, and this secrecy, this suppression of speech, not, not just the, the people that are asking for this. It doesn't, it, it's their right to know, right? But it's the idea of within the government, what information can be spoken? I understand there are, there's certain information that should not be made publicly available. Personal identifiable information about individuals, um, people who are, are uh, maybe under investigation, but have not been charged or have not been you know, uh, uh, convicted. There's, there's reasons for national security. But that needs to be the exception, not the rule. And when you have the people generating the information, generating the, the in this case, the censorship, saying, well, we're not going to give you information on that censorship because it could be, it could be censored, it could hurt us. That kind of is the point, isn't it? Again, simply using security, national security classifications to protect wrongdoing is is its own version of well it's free it's not technically freedom of speech but it's the it's the suppression of information which is ultimately when most people think of freedom of speech they're thinking of the freedom to exchange information and as we lose that ability to exchange that information we lose a lot more than just in, knowledge about a, a particular event within the government. We lose the foundations of our liberty. The more government can subdue freedom of speech and freedom of access to information, the more they control what you see and what you hear, the more they overthrow the basic concepts of liberty, much less justice, I have some other venues I want to proceed down when it comes to the 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 uh, uh, battle between liberty and tyranny. But guess what? I have to take another break. Before I go, though, I want to remind you that, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Constitution Study Patriots is is coming up. Um, once I get this boot camp running and I, I record it, um, that will be the entry point into the Patriots program. The Patriots program is designed not to replace what people are already doing, but to give them tools to enhance what they're doing. Whether it's it's more education, communication tools, or just people that are willing to stand up and do what is right. 
So if you want to find out more, go to the website, constitutionstudy.com slash patriots. You can find out more about the Patriots program itself. While you're there, if you want to head over to books and more, maybe check out one of the one of my books. Uh, I've got my 30-day devotional. You can you know read the Constitution in 30 days, mostly because people don't believe me they can read it in 30 minutes, but it's designed as a daily devotion. Read for, for a couple of minutes a day, and in 30 days you've read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. It is a great way to get started. It's a great way to introduce children to the Constitution and open up these discussion points that will be so critical to protecting liberty in this country in the future. Now, since you listen to the Constitution Study in America Out Loud, I've got a deal for you. If you go to constitutionstudy.com, you go to Books and More, if you order one of those two books, right, the uh, Read the Constitution in 30 Days or my main book, The Constitution Study, if you order the paperback versions, I will ship them for free. I will waive the shipping fee if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. That's just for you, ladies and gentlemen, that listen to the Constitution Study on America Out Loud. Speaking about organizations that support the work we're doing here, how about Healthy Cell? They are a leading innovator in supplements designed to work at the cellular level. Now, they've got a lot of great products, but one I use regularly is their Focus and Recall. It helps boost my short-term memory, my short-term focus, and my long-term brain power using nothing but Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. And it comes in an easy-to-use travel-ready gel pack. So whether I'm in my office or on the road, I start feeling sluggish. I start feeling uh, a little iffy. I grab one of these. I suck it down. And in no time at all, I'm back on point and getting the work done. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So please go to HealthyCell.com, put your card together. When you check out, use that code OUTLOUD. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. 
The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You're rejoining the Constitution study. And today, well, our topic is uh, the, the idea of, of a battle. The battle we have right now between liberty and tyranny, and what are we going to do about it? What are we the people going to do about it? The first segment, I talked a lot about censorship and, and this freedom of speech, the, the freedom of access to information, uh, the freedom to publish. Uh, I want to pick up this segment with a, another view, and that is the regulatory state. Some people call it the swamp. Some people call it the administrative state. It's the, it's the regulatory state. And I bring it up for a reason. See, later this week, the U.S. House is scheduled to vote on something called the RAINS Act, or the Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny Act. Don't you just love the weird names they come up with to try to come up with these cute little acronyms? Oh, it's ridiculous. And the, the idea is simple as it is misleading. Now, the RAINS Act says that all major rules um, do, not have to, do not take effect unless and until both houses of Congress pass a joint resolution to approve them. Well, how does the RAINS Act define a major rule? Well, it's a rule that has an annual economic impact of $100 million or more. Now, I say it's as, as simple as it is misleading for a couple of reasons. First of all, the whole problem we have with the um, with the the administrative state, these regulations, came from an act of Congress. Actually, many acts of Congress. See, the Constitution is very simple. Article One, Section One, Clause One. The very first legally binding words in the Constitution say that all legislative power, all lawmaking power, is vested in a Congress of the United States. See, only Congress has the ability to make law. The executive branch does not have the ability to make law. The judicial branch does not have the ability to make law. It's all vested in Congress. We see Congress got lazy. Well, part of it is I think Congress got lazy. Part of it is Congress got, um, let's say, political cold feet. See, what Congress learned is that, listen, rather than actually writing laws that actually have all the details in them, we'll just write a law that says we want to do something, and then we'll kick it over to the executive branch to actually do it. You think about all the, the giant bills that say, well, the, you know, the secretary of this department will do this, and the secretary of that department will do this, and, and, and all of this, they just shove it all over to the uh, executive branch. Well, there's a problem. That's bad law. That's bad lawmaking. See, the purpose of the executive branch is not to create the law or the rules or the regulations, but to enforce the law, the rules and the regulations that are created by Congress. So understand, Congress has a created a ginormous mess. They left a ginormous load on the front lawn of the United States of America, and this is their attempt to clean it up. Now, what they're saying is, well, okay, we don't want to actually stop the administrative state from making rules. 
we just want to rein them. We we want to we want to to limit them to little bites. You, you ever see one of those um, packages that says you know only only a hundred calories per serving? This is a diet product. It's a hundred calories. You, you see this like oh yeah you know it's like you open the bag up and you read look at the back of the bag and it says yeah there's a hundred calorie per serving. It's like three crackers. Or, or four potato chips is a serving. So all Congress is doing is saying, listen, rather than getting the, the big cookie, you can cut that cookie up into lots of little pieces to keep it small enough for us not to have to worry about it. So it, it, this, I don't, in the long run, I don't think this is going to have nearly the impact that they think they are, because what's next going to happen? Okay, now, now we've got these regulations, and what happens? You know, why uh, Why is Congress approving the regulations, the act of the executive, rather than saying, here are the rules? Because you have to remember, other than the president, actually, the, the, there's no representation in the executive branch. And even the president isn't truly, he's, he's, a, he's a functionary of the states. He's not a representative of the people. So Congress is saying, listen, we will let the dictator in chief make the rules, and then we'll decide whether or not we're going to rubber stamp them. I'm still not real happy with it. Now, I have to admit, the RAINS Act is better than what we have today. But I still think it's just piling more fertilizer on the fertilizer we already have. Now, there are groups that are opposed to this. And what's interesting is you look at some of the, uh, some of the reasons why. Some claim that the RAINS Act will delay or shut down the implementation of critical new public health and safety safeguards, financial reforms, and worker protection, thereby making industry even less accountable to the public. There's an Orwellian statement if I ever heard. Well, will it delay implementation of these regulations? If they're big enough, yes. And for very good reason. Because when the administrator state makes a rule that is, let, they are basically collecting our tax dollars. They are initiating laws without the representation. They don't represent the people. Now, if these new public health and safety safeguards, if these new financial reforms and others are so important, why is Congress not passing legislation? There's a reason why this stuff is done in the bureaucrats and the administrative state rather than in Congress. Because if they did it in Congress, they, they might actually have the people hold them accountable. Much better to not take the chance and just let the administrative state do it. They say that, uh, the, that the RAINS Act is redundant and needlessly time-consuming. Agencies already go a rigorous review of the proposed rules, and they solicit comments from the public, business interests, and other agencies. Yeah, but the problem is we're supposed to be a republic. Laws are supposed to be made by Congress, not by the executive branch, not by those who are unaccountable to the people. See, while I, I don't, I'm not opposed to the RAINS Act. I think the RAINS Act is a start. If I had my druthers, I would say all rules and regulations that, that, are, that are requested by the executive branch must be approved in legislation by Congress. But this is a step, this is a compromise I can live with. 
But those who are saying, well, oh, it, it, we're not going to get the regulations from you. Oh, you mean we're not going to have the dictator in chief able to do whatever he or she darn well wants simply because they got it through the bureaucratic method rather than the legal method. Like I said, we're dealing with a battle between liberty and tyranny. And there are those who love the tyranny of the bureaucratic state, of the administrative state. Let's forget the rule of law. Let's just let the bureaucrats do whatever they darn well please. Now, another front on this battle between liberty and tyranny has become known as the, by the term lawfare. The idea of using the judicial system as a form of warfare. And it's been used quite, quite effectively by many different groups. And the, the, the strategy is, is fairly simple. So you have groups to get, that get together and they use lawsuits either on their own or groups that are allied with different uh, uh, administrative uh, administration agendas in order to create or to oppose political means. Right. What, what do I mean? Uh, for example, let's say that uh, you can't get gun control passed. So we will find groups that will sue gun manufacturers for creating a legal, a legal product because it helps implement a, a policy that you cannot get through either the, the legislative or bureaucratic process. We see it when... Um, Government actors, right, government agencies, sue people for doing completely legitimate things, knowing that while the average U.S. citizen or business has to pay for their lawyers, and it's a long, hard, expensive process, the federal government already holds lawyers. They work for them. It doesn't cost the federal government. Think of what's been going on to, and again, not just the federal government, because think of what's been going on to um, the guy in Colorado. I'm drawing a blank on his name for a second. The guy who makes the cakes. He has spent over a decade trying to protect his right to say, I don't want to create something special. I don't want to endorse same-sex marriages. I don't want to endorse transgender coming out parties. I don't want to create special products for those things. You can buy anything on my shelf, but I will not, take a, I will not make a custom product that speaks a message I disagree with. Ten years this man has been suffering under the lawfare created by the state of Colorado, by uh, activists in the state of Colorado, and in many ways in, uh, uh, supported by different federal courts. That's not simply a question of dollars. Just imagine the strain on your life, on your family, on your business. Ten years fighting for your rights. And very often, because of the cost and the pain and the suffering, people will capitulate. They will take a deal, often referred to as, as consent decrees or settlement agreements to say, even though I know I'm right, I can't afford to keep fighting, so I will consent to or I will settle and put these restrictions on myself because the agencies are applying this. Now, chairman of the... Uh, House Judiciary Committee's subcommittee on the Constitution and Limited Government, the, the gentleman by the name of, of Mike uh, Johnson. Well, he's been doing uh, things, in the, it's been a, a topic in his subcommittee. Recently, another representative, a Victoria Sparts, 
introduced H.R. 3446 that wants to impose limitations on these consent decrees and these settlement arguments by the, these agencies that are dealing with the regulatory action. And as I understand it, and I'm going to try and summarize this, take, for example, um, there was a, I forget where it was, it was a farm that the EPA said, this is wetlands because there were puddles on the farm during the, you know, when it rained. And they prevented the owners from building on this property and they tried to sue them into compliance and they tried to get them to sign a consent decree. And the idea is to put limitations on this consent decree process so that the government can't simply use its its 800-pound legal gorillas to impose their will on others. Now, a large part of this actually comes down to the judicial branch and the idea of, of judges who either intentionally or indirectly are acting in a politicized manner. And part of the problem is, you know, federal judges... We 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 don't we don't understand how judges are appointed. It's, it's not the president picks the name, and it's the job of the Senate to rubber stamp it. The Constitution says that the president can appoint judges with the advice and consent of the Senate. Now there are too many senators who believe the president should get whatever judge they want. No, your job is to advise and consent, not simply to rubber stamp. There are others who say, well, we're looking for Democrat judges or Republican judges or conservative judges or liberal judges. You know what you should be looking for? Constitutional judges. Judges that understand the supreme law of the land and that apply it based on what it says rather than, well, what they want it to mean. Now, recently, uh, Joe Biden has nominated Lauren Ali Khan to be a district judge for the District of Columbia. And of course, she came before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And there was a very interesting exchange that went on. See, Senator Hawley asked her, do you think it's wrong to discriminate on the basis of religious faith? Ms. Ali Khan responded, absolutely. To which Senator Hawley replied, then why do you argue that religious services and religious people pose a greater risk of infection than people gathered to argue for defunding the police? Now, I have to admit, this is a bit of a gotcha question, right? Because at the time, Ms. Ali Khan was not a judge. She was the Solicitor General for the District of Columbia, and she was arguing, she was defending the lockdown orders from Mayor Muriel Bowser, which was her job. Now, she claimed that her arguments were based on, on discussing the issue with epidemiologists that told her that churches pose more of a risk due to singing. Somehow singing is supposed to spread COVID more than shouting. She said, my understanding was the nature of singing and other things epidemiologists thought could transmit COVID at a higher rate. Notice, could, not did, could. But what's interesting is Holly's response. He said, you offered no scientific evidence for it. You pressed these arguments over and over and over without any foundation. Frankly, I'm disappointed that you made those arguments. You can choose what arguments to make. I'm disappointed that you've persisted in defending them here today. And for that reason, among others, I will not support your nomination. Now, I kind of understand Ms. Ali Khan's. She's in a bit of a tough spot, right? Because as Solicitor General, her job is to, well, to be the lawyer for the District of Columbia. But she's also an officer of the court, which means she took an oath to support the Constitution of the United States which also means she should have looked at this and said, wait, where's our constitutional authority to come up with this? See, the idea is that 
if singing could, if somebody said singing could transmit COVID, my answer is, where is the probable cause? Where's something that says this is likely to happen, not simply because somebody said so? Now, personally, I said, this is a bit, a bit of a gotcha question, and I don't really hold Ms. Khan, Ms. Ali Khan uh, to say she's unqualified because of this argument as, a, as an attorney, but it does tell me her character. It tells you a bit about her character, and her character is she will do what her clients want, whether it's constitutional or not. And my question is, should she become a member of the district court? Who will she see her clients as being? Will it be the people? Will it be the government of the United States? Or will it be whoever she finds politically advantageous? But I bring this up to notice that here you have, again, the dissension natural to party politics. You have a Republican senator interviewing uh, a, a, a democratically appointed uh, person for judge and uh, using a little bit of a context shift to try and shed her in, in, in a bad light. Again, I don't know Ms. Ali Khan. I don't have nearly enough information to make a decision. But this is what happens when we let political parties and politics take precedent over liberty. It's still despotism, regardless of which side is doing it. Now, listen, I have to take another break, but I hope you'll follow me in making AmericaOutloud.com a daily stop for news and information. It's more important than ever, as all of this is going on, that we share this information, the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos. By doing so, we help to secure the blessings of liberty. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic-era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. 
So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. And today, well, we're talking about the, the battle, the fight, the the between liberty and, and, and tyranny. I've talked a bit about the um, uh, about several topics. You know, I've talked about censorship. I've talked about the administrative state. I want to take a look at some things out of the judiciary next. There's a couple of, of opinions of judges that I want to look at. The first involves a Tennessee law known as the Adult Entertainment Act. Now, this law uh, makes it a crime, a criminal offense for a person to, quote, perform adult cabaret entertainment, close quote, on public property or in a place where it could be viewed by a minor. Now, this this law was meant to deal with a, a lot of the, you know, drag, the, the, the drag shows have been showing up and promoted to small children. Now, U.S. District Judge Parker um, basically found the law to be unconstitutional. He said it violated the rights of a group called Friends of Georgia, which is a theater company that holds drag shows in Memphis, and it allows children to attend, even though uh, it, the group, the knowledge is that the performance could contain sexual content comparable to what would warrant a PG-13 rating in a movie. Now, in one of the plays, characters portrayed sexual acts. I, I'm not sure if that qualifies as PG-13 or not. I pay no attention to the movie ratings because they've been they've absolutely ridiculous. But uh, Judge Parker zeroed in on, on the standard of harmful to minors. The idea is the law is, is not allowed because it's content that could be harmful to minors, which, by the way, is defined in the Tennessee Criminal Code as that quality of any description or representation in whatever form of nudity, sexual excitement, sexual conduct, excess, uh, excess violence, or sadomasochistic abuse when the matter or performance would be found by the average person applying contemporary community standards to appeal predominantly to the pruent, shameful, or morbid interests of minors is patently offensive to prevailing standards in the adult community as a whole with respect to what is suitable for minors and taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. Now, according to Judge Parker, um, that rule is unconstitutional because, since it applies to minors of all ages, um, and it fails to provide fair notice of what is prohibited, and it encourages discriminatory enforcement. I, I thought it was fairly specific in what it was talking about. Granted, you know, it, it, it's not saying you can't do A, B, and C, but it does say, hey, if it's patently offensive, if the average person in, in the community standards say it's, it's current or shameful, if it lacks any serious literary or artistic um, minor, or value to minors, I didn't think that was all that uh, vague as it was as, as it was put out. But he also said that it was substantially overbroad because it applies to public property or anywhere a minor could be present. Now understand, for the entire history of this nation, we have had laws that said there are certain things that are not allowed in public because people it could be harmful to might be exposed to it. 
Now, my position on free speech hasn't changed. You are free to say or express whatever you want as long as it is not harmful or, or um, infringe on the rights of someone else. And that's the problem is we're dealing with minors. We're dealing with, in many cases, small children, where the exposure to this type of, of sexualized content is harmful. It, it, it's designed to uh, create a morbid interest for minors. It's designed to uh, inflame the lust of minors. It's designed to sexualize minors. Now, what's interesting is, is Judge Parker wrote that, uh, simply put, no majority of the Supreme Court has held that sexually explicit but not obscene speech receives no less protection than political, artistic, or scientific speech. But I'm sorry, first of all, um, what the court says is one thing, what the Constitution says is something else. But I'm sorry, seeing adult men in exaggerated, overly sexualized costumes and makeup performing sexual acts in front of small children is obscene. Therefore, it can be restricted. Now, I'm not an expert on this law. As I understand it, this does not criminalize people walking around in drag. It, um, it, it is designed to prevent or to keep young children from being exposed to this hypersexualized content, the uh, sexualized acts. The idea of having content that would allow a small child to, see, to watch sex acts is not, to be, not being found obscene is, to me, it shows that the, the purent behavior is not simply in, the, um, in those of the drag show, but in many cases in the judicial robes as well. And I repeat, I love freedom of speech. I don't say that these people, that, that this organization cannot hold drag shows. What I'm saying is, just like anything else, there has to be, when, when you're dealing with public, when you're dealing with the access to minors, there has to be some limits. There has to be some social standards by which we will protect the minds and bodies of these children. And if I can get my hands on a copy of this judge's opinion, I will, uh, I'll read it in more depth and maybe I'll come back with some more information. But in another example, in Florida, another district judge, a, a Robert Hinkle, issued a preliminary injunction um, banning the, imp the implementation of Florida's ban on trans transgender procedures for minors. Now, in this case, the judge's uh, decision is very narrowly targeted. It only involves three uh, families whose children sued state officials over the ban. Uh, things like, and the ban, by the way, includes things, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries. Now, as, as a reasoning behind this, Judge Hinkle said that the three children in the lawsuit will suffer irreparable harm if they cannot begin puberty blockers adding that the treatment will affect the patients themselves, nobody else, and will cause, cause defendants no harm. Again, isn't ignorant bliss? They will suffer irreparable harm if they cannot chemically mutilate their bodies. And the idea that the patients will, uh, will that these treatments, these puberty blockers will cause no harm to the defendants is also not supported by the scientific data. You're talking about messing with the hormones of a human body in a critical stage of its development. There's every possibility that, that these people will become infertile. 
that uh, uh, the, the chemicals, by the way, in boys that are used are often used as a form of chemical castration. How can you say that the defense would receive no harm to permanently alter their bodies chemically? Now, again, I'm no expert on this particular law, and I don't know the limits, uh, you know, the, 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 the details behind it. But I have to wonder, we have so many laws that protect children from harm. You know, you, uh, a child is not allowed to get uh, any sort of medical treatment without parents' permission. Again, the parents apparently are on board with this. But then again, if the parents were on board with amputating a child's arm or with giving the child drugs that would, per that, that would uh, damage their bodies or damage their minds, the state says we have the right to say no. But apparently if it involves this mental disorder called that we call transgenderism, the gender dysphoria, this mental disease, the courts are all about going ahead with it. And again, I think a lack of information, I, I don't know the court case, but the proof that, that puberty blockers are not harmless, I wonder if that ever came up in the case. And again, in the same way, I am loath to get between a parent and the child when it comes to making medical decisions. But there are medical conditions where the parents intentionally or unintentionally may harm the child, and we do want to protect the child from that. Which is why in both the Tennessee and the Florida case, the, the details matter. Because to do this, to, to interfere with, a, with the actions of, of the, the decisions of a parent for their child must require a, a high probable cause of, of harm. And, and I think too often this has become politicized, and now the decisions are being made, again, a political decision not a legal one and, and not a medical one, right? I, I don't want the government coming in and telling the parents everything they, they can and cannot do with their children. But I also want to be, also, I'm also concerned that when I see a, a, a parent doing something that physically harms a child, we used to call that child abuse. Is that not something we are concerned of in this? And again, maybe the laws are written. Maybe these cases were written in such a way that that aspect didn't come up. But that, to me, is part of the battle between liberty and tyranny. The, the liberty to do what you want without the tyranny of being told everything you need to be done requires action, requires pushback. It requires at least an intellectual battle, if not a physical one. Because if we're willing to sacrifice the health and welfare of children for our own liberty, I think we've gone too far. And by the way, the, the, this, the current focus on transgender is not to say there aren't many, many more in, uh, instances where we have used our desire to be free and easy to harm our children. All you have to do is look at the debt ceiling. We're borrowing money to give us goodies, to give us programs that our children may be forced to either uh, pay off, either by higher taxes or by higher inflation. But that's a discussion for another day. Now, there's one more issue, one more article I want to take a look at uh, before we close out today. And that has to deal with, in this case, a private organization, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, the SPLC has a, has a, a, a gloried history 
they literally came to be to help uh, to help enforce civil rights laws in the, the, the in the Jim Crow South. That's where they got the name Southern Poverty Law Center. They came to the the legal aid of of many people. However, their mission has changed. See, they issued a report called The Year in Hate and Extremism. And in that, they say, schools especially have been on the receiving end of ramped up and coordinated hard right attacks, frequently through the guise of parents' rights groups. Really? It depends on how you define a, a, a coordinated high, a hard right attack. So when you're talking about parents complaining about what their children are being taught, Parents complaining about medical decisions being hidden from the parents. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call that a, a hard right attack. The report goes on, At the forefront of this mobilization is Moms for Liberty, a Florida-based group with vast connections to the GOP that this year, uh, that this year the SPLC designated as an extremist group. They can be spotted at school board meetings across the country wearing shirts and carrying signs that declare, We do not co-parent with the government. That, by the way, to the SPLC is a, a coordinated, hard-right extremist attack. Moms for Liberty. I haven't met with them. I'd love to talk with them on the, on the radio program. But the idea that parents parent, they don't co-parent with the government, is now considered extremist to the SPLC, and they put them on this list of, of uh, extremist groups, along with the KKK, along with other groups. Now, I haven't seen the whole list, but the last time I, I looked at this, I do not believe the SPLC listed um, Antifa or BLM as extremist groups. You know, you know groups that actually, um, you know, riot and set fires and do uh, commit vandalism and loot, they aren't on the list. But a group of mothers that don't want the government taking control of their children, that's an extremist group. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have I, the SPLC has the right to make this mention wherever they want. That that they're they're a free group. They're a private organization. They can make such statements. I want us to learn from it, because if your organization or your business, or in some cases even our government, is using the SPLC's list to implement policy, then we have a problem. Now, again. If you're a private company, if you're a private individual, and you follow, that's your decision. Legally, be my guest. But I remember that the Air Force, in contravention of, uh, of, 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 I believe, federal law, they were told they could not use the SPLC as, as a, 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 to inform their policy, but they do. And then we find out that they equate parents that disagree with, go with, with government schools, that's, that claim the government doesn't have the authority to, to control us, is, a, is an extremist group? Tells you a lot about that. And if our government actors are going to use that to infringe on in our rights, we better be prepared for battle. So hopefully you see that our, our battle for liberty is neither over nor is it monolithic. It comes on many fronts. It comes from many different directions. And we really need to be prepared to fight to maintain our freedom and our liberty. It's why I started the Patriots program, because I, want, I don't want to 
point to you which battle line you should be fighting on. But I want to give you tools to help you fight. So again, you can find out more at constitutionstudy.com slash patriots. I hope you'll join me there because I think this could make a huge difference to the nation as we go forward. Now, if you like what you hear, hopefully you'll join me here at the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio network. Now, if you can't listen then, all the episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. And you can listen on your favorite podcast app. But I do ask you to subscribe to the show. Leave me a rating or a review. See, by subscribing, we end up higher in the ratings and, well, makes it easier for other people to find us. And the ratings and review help other people decide whether or not to listen to the Constitution Study or any of the programs here on America Out Loud. You can find the links at the homepage at AmericaOutloud.com. But as with everything else, I ask you to share them. Let other people know these battle lines exist and there are people that are there to give them help, information, and tools to help fight for our freedoms, to help fight for our liberty. By sharing this information, you're doing more than just sharing these ideas. You're also sharing the blessings of liberty 